Hi, welcome to another inspirational message recorded live at Oceans Unite Christian Center. Good morning, everybody. It's been a while since I've been here, um, but it's good. I, I recognize and I've gotten to know some of you, but a lot of new faces. And um, it's a privilege to uh, be in the lineup of folks uh, that Pastor Alex brings around. And for those of you that have been here before and heard me speak, I have lots and lots of new things. Some of it I will have to repeat that are foundational things to understand. I love you too. Um, oh, he's hugging me. It's the weirdest hug I've ever had, but it's all right. Oh, give William a big hand. This man is a servant. <laughs> uh, somebody likes you now. I do too. Can we just put this up on the screen and make sure this is going to work? I guess you have. We have to wait till you get to the back. Is it? Oh, there, there we go. Can we give our tech people a big hand? They really do serve us. It's awesome. For those of you who I haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, uh, this is Beth, and Beth and I. Uh, that happened to be taken on the southernmost tip of the continent of Africa, where the Indian and the Atlantic Oceans meet. We travel all over the world, but we come from the state of Virginia, and we live in the Appalachian Mountains in the Blue Ridge section, and I always tell people, for reference, if you ever watch the TV show The Waltons, we live near John Boy. So the Waltons Museum is not terribly far from us. If you ever come to Virginia, we'll take you there, and you can hum that tomb in your head all you want. Now it's going to be stuck in your head. <laughs> um, I get to write books, and that's what I do. I do a lot of research, and I write and by background, um, back when Moses and I went to college together, um, we graduated with a computer science degree and then a Bible degree. So that's the connection with technology and being a Christian. In the early days, people would say, that's such a weird combination. You got two degrees at the same time with that. And I'm like, well, Christians use phones. <laughs> Christians use computers, you know. Uh, but but it's all really come full circle because these issues of culture have come into the church. In fact, some of the numbers in terms of addiction, pornography addiction, for example, is the same numerically, percentage-wise, the addiction is the same in the churches and outside. So the culture is impacting us too much, and that's what I deal with to help the body of Christ navigate this digital landscape, not to get rid of everything, but to figure out what is uh, beneficial and what is not. But we'll get into all of that. And one of my uh, favorite places to stop uh, is the University of South Africa. And that's how I found this church. I was actually preaching at Pastor Alex's home church. And Pastor Harold, uh, I get along with him very well. I've been there two or three times as well. And I just love being there. The presence of God is so strong like it is here. And, and I really think you're a reflection of what goes on there. That's just my opinion. Because um, it's the same. It's awesome. But Pastor Harold uh, rang over here, and, and, and I ended up coming down here, and I'm so thankful that the dominoes fell that way. Um, but anyway, when in South Africa, I go to the University of South Africa, and I have been asked to enter into a collaboration with them in their Bureau of Market Research and then the Neuroscience Division under the Bureau of Market Research. I haven't mentioned this yet, but just to give you sort of an idea of what goes on in there. Now, my, my area, I've been asked to identify trends of digital addiction, so that's my area. But they'll use me as a guinea pig when I go in there to get my brain all wired up. And, and what they'll do, it's, it's Bureau of Market Research. And I don't know if you know this, but neuroscience is used in marketing all the time. 
And one of the ways that they fund the Bureau of Market Research at the University of South Africa is taking on clients. So I was in there at the FNB Bank, and um, they hooked me up to all this stuff, and they were doing motion tracking on me and sensory stuff, and, and, um, and they were trying to figure out where to place the logo on the television ad and on the billboard ads and where people's eyes would go, and you can tell a lot from the brain from that. So that's what goes on in these neuroscience laboratories. It sounds really fancy. Now, my, that's not my area of interest. That is, uh, mine is digital addiction, so they graciously let me use those facilities uh, with these wonderful, smart people here who are much smarter than me to identify trends and then study areas of digital addiction, and I'll present some of this to you today. Does that make sense? So I really don't know what I'm doing, but these people do. Now, uh, <laughs> because I'm also credentialed in the ministry, I get to preach. This happens to be one of the churches in Manila in the Philippines, but in Virginia, we have really small churches, and I, I love them too. My favorite speaking engagement ever was at a Christian school. I would go, I always make time in this little mountain hillbilly school, and I, I, went, I would go all the time when I was home, and then they asked me to do um, their graduation ceremony. So I should say it's my favorite school speaking engagement. Um, they asked me if I'd do the commencement address, and I said, well, I would be honored to do that. And they said, before you accept this invitation, we need to let you know we only have one graduating senior. Now, that would surprise you. didn't surprise me at all because I know how small things are. And I said, I'm there. So I put my suit on. She had her cap and gown. I prayed. I got a word, a commencement dress for her. But the whole community filled up the church to support that one graduating senior. Isn't that awesome? So I talked to her the whole time. Got her all graduated, graduated. <laughs> we make up words where I'm from. I get to work uh, with law enforcement uh, mainly in Australia, and so we go into lots of schools and in the corporate environment as well, and we garner a lot of research. That happens to be a Catholic school there, but um, as a result of the things that God has allowed me to, to do in the area of digital addiction, I also get to go into places that Christians normally wouldn't get to go because in the Muslim world, they don't have anyone to address digital addiction. They have it. These, these Muslim children are just as addicted to Netflix and porn and video games as anyone else. And um, so I, I go in there, and of course, I represent Jesus. Uh, that's what I do. So, uh, and then I get to spend a lot of time in the media uh, talking about all this research after we've crunched a bunch of numbers and that sort of thing. So uh, that's just a little bit about what we do. And uh, finally, Pastor Alex, remember to talk about the resources. <laughs> I've been, I'm, I'm horrible at self-promotion. Uh, if anybody wants a job that doesn't pay anything, I'll be glad to give you one. Um, there's uh, the, the book that I'm currently talking out of now is Digital Cocaine. I, it's, it's not run its course by any stretch of the imagination, but just because I'm about to release a new one, this one is still taking me all over the place. But it's available uh, both in English and in Spanish, and I'll talk to you a lot about, about this out of this book today. In, in addition, I will add some things from the new book that's coming up, hopefully in the very near future. There's a DVD back there of a message similar to what you're here this morning, but again, this will have some new things. But this is a great way to introduce these concepts to your friends rather than the book, because it it'll have the brain animations and different things that I'll show you this morning. And then if you want to do a deep dive, uh, this hits the highlights of the book, and then the book takes you much deeper. This one is also subtitled in Spanish, uh, and it's an English audio track, but it has the Spanish subtitles and English subtitles as well if you are hard of hearing as I am. Um, so the audio book is available. All 11, 12 chapters have been read. 
Uh, and it's not my accent. I hired a Yankee to do it so people could understand. <laughs> that worked well in New Jersey last week. Not so much here. But anyway, uh, that's there. And then what, men, again, we had a great conference, did we not? If you need to review some of the things that I talked about, then this is five and a half hours on the subject of pornography from a neuroscience point of view, spiritual point of view, but most importantly, one from a healing point of view. Amen? Well, I, I want to open up with a little bit of humor. I want to give you some dopamine drips to show you in a few minutes what happens when you look at a screen. I showed these when I was here last time, but they're so popular, I blew the dust off of them so that we could relive two brief, funny video clips. Laughter is like a... Medicine. All right. So these are actual real car commercials that used to run near where we live. The trunk monkey theft retrieval system. Because sometimes getting your car back is simply not enough. Another revolutionary idea. <laughs> Only fine at Suburban Auto Group. Pending approval by Department of Agriculture. Want to see another one? Dads will definitely want this next one. Have a look. Here we are. I still can't believe my dad lets me touch his new car. Yeah, give the monkey a hand. It's all right. <laughs> How many of you dads want one of those? Last week, somebody in the church went, I want two. I must have two daughters. <laughs> well, uh, I like this one too. This is Jesus sitting on a park bench with a millennial, and he says, no, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me. It really encapsulates what we're talking about, doesn't it? It really does. All right. Let's turn to the Word of God um, by way of the screen. And for me, I, I get to do a lot of science, and I love it. But I, I will tell you, it's, science is in a mess. We all know that. But even when it wasn't in a mess, there's so many flaws with it. It's as helpful. It really is. But there's one sure thing, and I'm being very sincere, that I lean on bank my life on, have given my life for the Word of God. It's inerrant, it's infallible, it's God-breathed, and it's come straight from heaven, and it is the final authority, the final authority for all faith and conduct. If you believe that, would you say amen? amen. Everything is permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. So this tablet that I own and all the other computers that I own, they're permissible, but there are things about them that are not beneficial. And the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, goes on to define what is healthy, what is not healthy. And he says this, everything is permissible for me, but I won't be enslaved by it. I won't be addicted to it, mastered by it. And that's addiction. And the good side of science is we can look at brain scans, and I'll show them to you. And you can clearly see the addiction. It's, you don't need to be a neuroscientist to literally see it. I'll show you cocaine addiction. I will show you meth addiction. I will show you digital addiction. And they're all very similar. 
The same area of the brain that you get addicted to your favorite food. Uh, mine would be ice cream, definitely. I used to watch, I told the men, I've lost a lot of weight. It was a long time ago. I used to watch The Biggest Loser and eat Ben and Jerry's ice cream. How dumb was that? <laughs> Apparently, you've done dumb things, too. <laughs> you laugh because it's true, and you're going, yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. Well, um, to introduce this concept, I want to introduce you to a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Nicholas Cardaris. And I'm going to slow it down after this. It's a brief clip, and what you're going to see at the beginning are children who are withdrawing when their devices have been taken away. And in the first service, as I often hear, people laugh at it until you see the brain scans at the end. And suddenly, it's not so funny anymore. This is literal damage that's occurring. And so in the middle, he's going to talk about a neurotransmitter called dopamine. It's also known as the happy chemical. And it's very similar to, to what people think of serotonin, which if you don't have enough of that, you get depressed, but that's a little bit different. This is the chemical that gets released when we are doing entertaining things. And me showing you Trunk Monkey was not a sin, but if I were to let that play and keep binge watching, that's where the problem comes in. Does that make sense? When you get too much dopamine. So he's going to talk about the association with gambling, because that is a high dopaminergic effect when you gamble. And the same thing happens when you look at a screen, regardless of content. So, have a look. What do you want? Someone's over. Across the globe, frustrated parents are forcing kids to go cold turkey on technology. Chicken. reactions are not unlike the withdrawal symptoms of a drug addict. I know addiction when I see it, and I started seeing very clear signs of addiction in children, especially the withdrawal part. The mood dysregulation when an addict gets their drug of choice taken away from them. No, I <laughs> The temper tantrums, the violent outbursts. We started seeing more and more of those. How you doing, Dr. Matthews? Dr. Cardaris runs an addiction clinic in New York. It was exclusively for drug addicts. Now, he's seeing more and more screen addicts. As an addiction psychologist as an, and as a parent, what shocked me the most was the realization that these devices were digital heroin. No different. They were affecting the brain the same as any opiate addiction. It does two things fundamentally. It's hyper-stimulating and hyper-arousing, so it elevates our adrenal response. It's the same reward schedule as a slot machine. It keeps you playing and playing over and over again to get that dopamine tickle. The screen itself, the rapid screen cuts, the radiant light itself, the hyper-immersive effect is stimulating in a way that television never was. So what it does is it raises our dopamine levels in the way that we want to chase that dopamine uh, effect. The sounds, it's the, the achievement. Most of the games are aimed at feeling good when you actually get to the, the next level. Yeah, it's always a reward, you it's know, reward. bright sparkly lights, happy sounds. Yeah. This is a brain scan from a chronic heroin addict. Highlighted here is damage to the frontal cortex and surrounding area. It is the part of the brain that regulates behavior and impulse control. 
in heroin addicts, that part of the brain shrinks and becomes less dense. This is a brain scan from a teenager diagnosed with screen addiction. The damage and the effect on the brain is nearly identical. Similarly, when certain activities are done, the brain scans are identical to cocaine. And that's why we call the book Digital Cocaine. Digital addiction most often looks like either heroin or coke. And the video gamers' brains more specifically look like coke addiction. And the problem that I have as a speaker and one who researches and talks about it is that most parents believe that they and their children are the exception to everything I'm saying. And there are no exceptions. I'm not the exception. Einstein was not the exception. Everybody get, always gets to addiction. It's true. There is such a thing as an addictive personality. And what that simply means is if this is the line of addiction, they get there quickly. But the rest of us, we get there a little bit more slowly, but we all get there. But no one has enough resilience to stave it off. No one. And I can pick out video gamers in particular in my audiences in schools. They have one of two reactions to me. They'll either come to me and they will break and say I won't help, or they get angry and want to hit me. I'm not kidding. That anger, that's the first symptom. We'll talk about that. Like what you saw there. And I, I've had, I was in a Christian school not terribly long ago, and I literally thought, oh my goodness, we're going to have a redneck brawl right here in school. I did. I mean, he's a big boy, you know, and I'm a little fella, and I'll spider monkey him in, right? Amen? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm not trying to fight anybody. I'm just saying it, it, it's that bad. And when the brain looks like that, that's, that's what you get. So to explain this just a, a little further, uh, there's a condition that has been identified and been around for many, many decades. It's called anhedonia. Now, that word uh, hedonia, it comes from the word hedonism, which is the ongoing pursuit of pleasure. When you put an in front of it, it means no pleasure. So what happens is once you overstimulate the brain over a period of time, it actually shuts down. So the irony is when you, the more you stimulate, the more it shuts down. And eventually what happens is it shuts down to the point where you become emotionally numb. So have you ever heard your kids or your grandkids say, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, and you go, good Lord, how can you be bored? You have more stuff than we ever had growing up. It's because with tablets, especially if you've used them as babysitters, they've been overstimulated, and unless you're providing extremely high levels of stimulation, they're bored. So when Christmas time rolls around, one of the saddest things, let's go to Grandma and Granddad's house, and they'll say, can I take my tablet? Well, they don't hate Grandma and Granddad, but they're bored by their conversations. So the mantle of the older generation in these two generations that we have with Gen Z and the millennials, have, spiritually speaking, have not been passed down because the kids are bored with them. They don't hate them. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they're bored with them. They don't want to hear their old stories. They don't want to hear the Bible stories or how God has worked in their life. Now, contrast that with me. That's all I ever heard is how God took care of them and healed them when they got sick. And my granddaddy was a, my great granddaddy was a, was a, a southern tent revivalist. And I was in, very scary to be in his meetings. But I, I, people got healed. Demons cast, they never took them in the back room. Because Jesus said, if I by the finger of God cast out demons, the kingdom of heaven has come to you. Let everybody see it. <laughs> You know, and, and that's just, and they didn't hide it, so we had this, but all that stuff has gone away. Nobody wants to hear those stories anymore because, well, we have Fortnite. 
That's true. That, and you, there was a little dopamine hit that that evil little creature just received. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> it's true. That was a microcosm. I got to ask this question. I was at a school at West Palm Beach. And the kids, auditorium, a bunch of kids in there, and they said, what's the worst uh, social media app? I said, I won't tell you to the end. I've learned lessons over the years. There are certain things I, I can't mention till the end because I will release dopamine like that, but the whole auditorium goes off, and you lose them for 10 minutes. So what I do is wait to the end. I tell them these things, and then the teacher has to put up with them for 10 minutes. <laughs> Pretty smart, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Hillbillies really have sense in some areas. They really do. So let me put this back up here. The brain goes numb when we overstimulate it. And here's how addiction works. It, ha it takes place in that area of the brain. It's called the pleasure center. And it is surrounded by an area called the reward circuit. And it's called the reward circuit because when we do activities that are fun and stimulating, and not all of them are sinful, when you do that, we are rewarded with sensations of pleasure. And it works on that neurotransmitter that Dr. Cardaris talked about called dopamine. Dopamine is not your enemy until you get too much of it. In fact, if you're a school teacher, you, you would know they need dopamine to, for cognition. It's part of your learning. And the whole reward system uh, used to be focused in on in education. We used to learn, and that was our reward. That has now been replaced with entertainment. So the grades have gone down. Am I making sense to you? And so what they've done is lowered the standards and pushed the students on without actually having to retake the class when they actually failed. Now, I know you're not supposed to. You're supposed to stick with the narrative that we got the greatest education system that the world's ever seen. <laughs> we don't. All right. So when you stimulate yourself, whether it be through traditional drugs or digital drugs, the exact same thing happens. Dopamine goes into the pleasure center of the brain. And if you notice, it's lighting up there, and that's because of brain scans showing activity. I'll show you that in a minute. But you'll also see a wall forming. That wall is indicative of tolerance or resistance. In other words, the brain is getting used to that drug, and so what it's doing is trying to defend itself from too much dopamine because it stresses it, and so it builds a barrier, and it starts to push out the extra dopamine. We don't like to be cut off from those feel-good feelings, so what do we do? more of the activity. Now, the catch-22 is you can do more of the activity and penetrate that barrier and get your feeling, but the wall grows, and it just keeps growing. And so the more you do, the more it shuts down. Eventually, what happens, we stimulate ourselves so much, and if we don't stop, we habituate to the activity, and the brain finally just gives up and just shuts out all the dopamine, and that's not normal, and the person will go numb emotionally. They're bored with everything. So if you're not doing an activity that produces enough dopamine to get over that wall, or if you can't do it longer, harder, more intensely, you end up shutting down. Now, the sad thing about this is analog activities, which are non-digital activities, things like reading books on paper. Remember paper? Conversations with grandma are boring. Two weeks ago, I was speaking at a conference in New Jersey, and this happens all the time. I just happened to be thinking in one instance, it was the saddest thing. This grandmother came up to the table, the resource table. She plopped down four books and fell into my arms crying, and I held her. And I hear the same thing over and over. I'm around my grandchildren all the time, but I don't know them. 
I'm thankful for my grandparents. They raised me when my parents divorced. And I learned more about following God, serving God, the miracles of God, and the Word of God sitting at the kitchen table than I ever learned in Bible college. And that's how it should be. They did Deuteronomy 6 for me. And I'm a reflection of that. All of that has stopped because of a phone. When you put it in that context, maybe you hear my heart now. I'm not mad at anyone. And I don't hate phones, but do you see the part that's not beneficial, what it has done? Because I want to see revival. I want to see that wall come down, and I want to see the color come back into it. And we'll get into that. It's sad, and it's a burden, and I'm not here to condemn you. So let me just pause for just a moment to say to you, I didn't come here to beat you up. Please hear my heart. So just like with the men at our conference, I spend a lot of time talking about my own sins to assure them that there's no edge to me of superiority at all. I'm trying to obey the scripture that says encourage others with the same encouragement that you have received. Because I have suffered tremendous digital addiction and affected myself, my marriage, and everything else, I am on the other side of that now, and I can truly tell you that the grass is truly greener on this side of the fence. And I'm all better now, for the most part. <laughs> Not fully. But there's been another unintentional consequence to all this technology that we didn't know about, and that is things such as cutting. So I want to show you this. Uh, I go to schools, and starting in about the fifth grade, I will ask them to bow their heads, close their eyes, because I want to ask them to a question, but not respond out of peer pressure, because a lot of kids, they'll look around, and if they feel left out, they'll raise their hand and not answer correctly. So when you do research, you've got to figure out how to do these things so that they're answering in a, a, a nonpartisan way as you can possibly get it. So I have them close their eyes, bow their heads, and then I ask them this question. How many of you... Uh, know someone, not you or in this school, but someone outside of school who cuts themselves and everywhere in the world, starting in the fifth grade, that's how many hands go up. And so what ends up happening with self-harm, now let me ask you this question. I asked them this. First of all, how many of you know what self-harm is? Raise your hand. Okay. Most often it's cutting, but they do other things. What I want to do is zero in on the digital component of that, which happens to be the biggest. There's a long list of reasons why they do this. And I feel prompted by the Lord to talk about this in this session because it's so prolific. You saw the picture. What ends up happening is they have a wall that's blocking out the dopamine, and they stop feeling, they get bored with everything, and they panic because nobody likes to lose their emotional feeling. So what they have learned is a coping mechanism known as self-harm, and when they cut themselves, whether it be it's on purpose, but it doesn't matter if it's on purpose or accidental. The brain will help us cope with pain by releasing endorphins whenever there's an injury. So it hurts really bad at first, but then this calm, peaceful feeling comes in. And so they figure out this works. And I'm thinking of one girl. She came up to me, and she showed me her cuts. They show them to me all the time. And I just looked at her and I said, sweetheart, why'd you do it? And she said this, it makes me feel. Now, she wasn't talking about the cutting. That hurt. She was talking about the emotional feeling came back, which tells me she's anhedonic. The problem is those endorphins will get released, they'll feel, but they dissipate very quickly. 
So if they want to keep feeling, what do they have to do? They have to keep cutting. Now, here's the problem. A wall starts to form against them because they're addictive. Endorphins are addictive like dopamine. And so the cutting has to become harder, deeper, and, and, and more intense. Then eventually that runs its course and they're out of coping mechanisms and this darkness sets in. This deep, deep darkness sets in. And the suicidal thoughts will always come. And some, at alarming numbers, are carrying through with it in our culture I did a funeral, we may have to edit this bit out, Pastor, but for my cousin who committed suicide not long ago, and, and I learned from hanging out with all of his friends, from helping with the funeral, the most disturbing thing hit me. It was almost like a celebration at the funeral, but what I realized, they weren't celebrating that he had done that, it's just that it's become accepted as a way out. It had lost its, its shock for them. And it wasn't long after that. You know Chuck Colson? Some of you may get their newsletter. There's a book out now talking about how it's just become a coping mechanism. One of the things that you use to cope. Isn't that sad? Because Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. That's what technology has contributed to. It hasn't been the sole thing. I want to talk to you about the metaverse. Briefly, um, I, I was telling Pastor Alex, I'm about to finish this book on detox, and I was thinking, and I still think I should, but I was going to write a youth version of Digital Cocaine, and I started to be really stirred in my spirit to write one on the metaverse first, and then I, I got some confirmation, and I have my first speaking engagement next Sunday in South Africa. I'll be doing it virtually uh, on the metaverse. But I want to just take a few moments to talk to you because this is what's coming and the big push. It's already here, but the push to make it culturally acceptable in every sphere that you can imagine, including the church, is this year is when the, the, they're going to put their foot on the accelerator to, to make this happen. They've been building the infrastructure. Uh, Facebook has changed their name to Meta. You've probably heard that. Uh, HoloLens is what Microsoft did a number of years ago when I first wrote Digital Cocaine. So it's all there, but they're getting ready to make the push. So I want to show you just a brief clip of a video that it, it, it just gives you just the tip of the iceberg, and then I'll make some comments about how it relates to the church. In 1992, when the internet was still new, American novelist Neil Stevenson spoke about virtual reality, a virtual world where people would use digital avatars to live, work, and play online. He called it the metaverse, a blend of meta, meaning beyond, and verse from the word universe. He said this world, the metaverse, would be the successor of the internet, an escape of sorts from a dystopian reality. What kind of dystopian reality? This is the picture he painted. The global economy has collapsed, federal governments have lost their power, and a handful of giant corporations control the world. That was his projection three decades ago. Today, big tech is working on building the same future, minus the dystopia, hopefully. As we speak, tech giants like Apple, Microsoft, Google, and Facebook are racing to claim the metaverse, a virtual universe that will coexist with a physical one. Facebook has even changed its name to Meta to stay on top of the curve. To a lot of their users, metaverse may sound like an idyllic place to spend time, especially now when the pandemic has locked us down. For two years now, human contact has been the casualty. Enter metaverse with a promise to revolutionize our lives, to become an extension of the physical world. But do we really need it? Do we really need an imaginary world controlled by tech giants? 
Will it really make our lives better on the internet? Or will it manipulate our perception of reality? Hello and welcome to Gravitas Plus. I'm Palki Sharma Upadhyay. 2022 is poised to be the year of the metaverse, a technology-based augmented reality space that could change how we live and interact forever. Think of it as an internet that you're not just looking at, but also living in. Your digital avatar will inhabit the metaverse. Instead of watching or reading about a topic, you'll be experiencing it, doing those actions yourself digitally, along with other people who want to be part of your experience. Let me simplify it further. Imagine you're under lockdown, stuck far away from your family. How do you stay in touch with them? Through video calls. That's the closest you can be today. And it's not close enough. We all know that. As your family sits together, plays your favorite card game, or digs into a meal, you feel left out. Well, Metaverse promises to change that. Here you can meet your family in a virtual space. You can play that game in your digital avatar. Actual movements and conversations can take place. This is what the Metaverse offers. Experience, not just sight and sound. And the concept is not really new. Video games have had it for a while now. Ask your cousin or niece. She may already be a digital land baroness or the owner of a giant doll corporation. Some of the biggest gaming companies in the world, like Roblox, Fortnite, and Grand Theft Auto, have already built their own virtual worlds. With so I'll stop it there. You get the idea. It's already here. And people ask me, what's so bad about Roblox? Well, you, I, I think you can see w why this is very concerning. If those brain scans that I showed you are already showing horrific damage, can you imagine what happens when you go into a 3D world? Now, we have no brain science, which is very disturbing. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But how is it already affecting the body of Christ? This, uh, for, for, for a footnote sake here, this comes from the Freedom Center, uh, which is at Liberty University. It's their political think tank that I'm sometimes involved with. They uh, have very useful information at times, and so I happen to check out what they're saying about it. And this is what it says, the headline here. Facebook offers to help permanently move all worship services from the physical church to an online metaverse. I'd already known about this, but I just want to document it for you. Church attendance in person has steadily declined as attending streaming church services online has increased in popularity in part due to the coronavirus. In the United States of America, church attendance in person is now only 47%. We are collapsing. And so the appeal to not have to go anywhere, is up, mainly due to coronavirus. The move to put churches online is a step toward Zuckerberg's goal of establishing the metaverse through Facebook. These churches, including Hillsong Atlanta, which has already partnered with Zuckerberg, would stream their services on Facebook. And Miss Naomi told me this morning that you received the email, too. They're, they're reaching out to churches to try to get them to move some of them permanently into that space. What's the problem? Well, it's many. I'll name two. One, we should not ever align ourselves with people who are not saved. For what does light have to do with darkness? We cannot be unequally yoked. I'm going to give you three. The Word of God is very clear. God wants us to meet in person, face to face. That's the scriptural command. And thirdly, thirdly, when we join ourselves in that virtual world, the Spirit of God does not move like He moves out here. We know just with endorphins that you can have a conversation on Zoom or Skype, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
But you will not respond the same as if you were sitting across the table with someone with a cup of coffee, having a good conversation with no interruptions. Healing will come that way. And that happens with people who aren't saved. You imagine if the Spirit of God is involved? And so we don't want to end up going into that world. And so what's the advice? I've been asked, well, what should we do? Should we just deny it from the get-go? Here's what I say. At this stage, because it's developing exponentially, I would wait. I certainly wouldn't join with, with Facebook. I would definitely go on record and say, don't do what Hillsong did. Bad idea. Because what will end up happening, I'll give you a fourth one. You already know that if you, there's a narrative. Let's say what I do, science. There's a narrative with science. And if you pr propose any research outside of what has been approved, they will deplatform you. Now, that's not an internet rumor. We all know that. Can you imagine if you move your church completely onto Facebook's platform, your sermons are going to have to fit that narrative, and they won't always come from the Word of God. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg recently announced that he is teaming up with churches to move their church services exclusively online. What's another problem with this? I rely a lot on science, neuroscience, to try to figure out what, how the brain is responding. And the reality is it affects children way differently in the 2D world that we're currently in. In, in other words, the tech executives, for example, in Silicon Valley... Many of them send their children to Waldorf Steiner schools. Now, I don't recommend them because they're new age, but there is one thing they have correct. They allow no technology in the school and at home until they're about 14 years of age for brain reasons, all the stuff I've been talking to you. Why are these schools packed with executives' children from Google, Apple, eBay, Yahoo? Steve Jobs never let his children use the iPad ever. That's documented. That's not an internet rumor. I, I, I wouldn't go on film and write books knowing that the media is going to put me on there and question me. They're going to go check me out to see if I'm right. And if I'm not and I'm hyping all this stuff up, they're going to wreck my career. And they should. It's true. He wouldn't do it. Steve Jobs loved his children and adored them. Not yours. His. And if you're a fanboy of Mac... I'll shut up right there, because he's larger than me. While very little is known on the effects of immersive VR on adults, there is next to no knowledge on the impact of such systems on the sensorimotor abilities of young children. In other words, there's two ways that this is always handled when tech is released in schools. One is to say this, until they prove that it's harmful, we're going to adopt it. And number two, until you prove it's safe, we're not going to adopt it. Now, I'm in number two, but I'm the minority because I love the children. I'm not after your money or theirs because that's how God is. I'm trying to be like God. I'm not fully there, but I want to be like him. Our best interest is on his heart. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so, for the time being, what I recommend about the metaverse, wait. Don't join with them. 
and let's see if there is anything redeemable that we can use in the body of Christ, adopt it. But stay away from total control, stay away from being unequally yoked, fair enough, and stay away from things that damage the brain. But if there is something that's redeemable, wait, we'll adopt that. But it's not out yet. So I'll keep an eye on it, and there may be some things that end up, but I can tell you one thing, I'm not going to have the Oculus goggles. You have to prove it's safe, and so far, what we do know with adults, it's not good at all. Let's talk about social media. Um, social media is one of those things that, it's been a blessing and a curse, hasn't it? It's one of the most highly addictive things out there, and I want to talk to you about TikTok. I did the research last week, and let me see if I can just find find it very quickly. If I can't, I'll just come back to this. But I don't have access to the students very much in this country, but the school where I was in West Palm Beach last week, or the, earlier in the week, gave me access to the kids. So what I want to do is just show you what I did. I, I asked them, how many of you have internet-connected devices? I had their heads down, their eyes closed, so they wouldn't answer out of peer pressure. And I said, how many of you have internet-connected devices that your parents let you keep in the bedroom overnight? And, and everywhere I go, that many hands go up. I showed a different one in the first service. And their parents came in that night in the auditorium, and I asked the same question. I said, well, how many of you let your kids have internet-connected devices in their bedroom overnight? Two hands went up. Now, the average is seven, <laughs> but it was way low. And then I said, well, let's see how your children answered that this morning. And I put that picture up, and I said, let's try this again and not lie this time. And sheepishly, the hands went up. Now, I can only guess why they lied. I think, giving them the benefit of the doubt, most just think their ch children are immune, that it doesn't affect them, so it's okay. But most are probably embarrassed, and they've been using it as the babysitter, and they're feeling guilty, and they know they shouldn't do that. Maybe that's some of it. I don't really know, but here's the conclusion of the research. I sent some questions down based uh, on what I would do when I went working with law enforcement, and I just simply wanted to know, what are your favorite social media apps in the sixth grade and TikTok and Roblox are up there. That, that's what they're using at that age. And then the hours uh, of video game playing uh, each week, it's way up there. I, I don't think that it's uh, as low as what they're saying. I think they're telling me what I think uh, they think I want to hear, but I'm not sure. This should bother you. This is the sixth grade. Have you ever chatted with someone online that you do not know? Nearly 80%. Nearly 80%. Have you ever been bullied? Over 20% had. And the brain scans of children who have been cyber bullied and bullied in the playground show post-traumatic stress disorder just like a soldier. So that's still way too many. If you play video, video games, are you aware of age restrictions for online games? 60% knew but given the games that they're playing, they're all underage. They're lying. Now, they're at a Christian school, and it's a sin to lie. Do you hear where I'm coming from? The values of the grandparents, whom the kids are ignoring, haven't been passed down to that generation. God hasn't been able to use them as the channel to get the Word of God into them. And the churches, this is a great church, and I'm not just saying that. I mean it is. This is why we love stopping here. I get tired, but man, spiritually, I'm pumped up when I leave here, and, I'm, and it helps me to go to the next place that may not be like this. 
So it's not the problem here, but I can tell you where I go, sin is rarely mentioned in this country. And I'm not wanting people to go to hell. That's not the point. I'm wanting people to go to heaven, so you mention it. I'm an evangelist, so you have to mention it so they can stop it. Repent. As though that's a bad thing. Man, freedom tastes good, doesn't it? I asked them, sixth graders, what are your favorite Netflix series? And some of you look at this, and, and some of it's pretty innocuous. Some of it's not, if you know anything about it. And, and the social media influencers, some of this is just foul. I recommend to you parents, sit down with your kids, if you haven't already decided to take it away from them, <laughs> and just go through their history their, it, it, and, and their YouTube and their favorite social media influencers. Just watch stuff with them. If they'll do it. YouTube channels. Some of it's, again, pretty harmless. Much of it not harmless at all. And these are some of the video games that they're playing. And some of this stuff is, is just horrible. And so I was thankful to be able to get the research. And what I'm going to do is keep accumulating it by grades for the schools that will let me do it. And I'll keep getting these numbers more and more accurate as the pool grows bigger. Would that be helpful to you? To figure out where this is all headed, and where we currently are. All right, let us talk about something that I get in, I get some pushback on this sometimes, but uh, sort of used to it, I guess. I talk sometimes about multitasking, and last time I was with you, I did, and how many of you remember the poetry test that I gave you? Raise your hand if you remember the poetry test, and you failed it miserably, and you felt ashamed and low, and then I had to build you back up. Remember that? <laughs> Just to preface this, nobody can receive two or more streams of data simultaneously. And when you try, data goes through the floor. So in other words, basically what ends up happening is, as you are trying to focus on a conversation with someone and grab your phone, you're not able to pay attention to either. So your eyes may be locked on them with compassion, but mentally you're not taking it in. Let me give you a little test you can run sometime. Somebody's on their phone, and they're going, now, I know you've never done this to anybody, but it's been done to you, horrible, horrible. You're pouring your heart out, and you're really making that connection. The pressure's finally coming off, and their phone goes off, and they take the call, and they're going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm listening, I'm listening. Uh You ever had anybody do that? I got news for you. Your irritation works both ways. Now, I know it's justified when you do it, and it's not when they do it. (laughs) You're laughing because you're guilty. But when you're doing that, you're missing the conversation. So here's the test. Next time somebody does that to you and they say they're listening, just say something like this. Say, you know, my leg fell off the other week, and I screwed it right back on. And they go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just try that next time, and it'll keep you from getting angry. You'll laugh at them, but you'll find out I'm correct. They're not paying attention to you, even though they're looking at you, going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Just try it, and then email me and tell me your story. Okay? All right. So, I want to show you multitasking's effect on spirituality. Beth will often videotape people whilst I am speaking, and in some places, they are on their phones throughout the congregation. While I'm speaking. So here's a kid right at the beginning of the service when I was called to the podium. He's already doing this. And then about halfway through, Beth has moved to a different part of the auditorium. 
And with a zoom lens, she's filming them, and there's a whole row of them. And they are just having a old hoot nanny here. I don't know what they're doing, but their little fingers are going a mile a minute. The lady on the end, she's irritated because she's actually listening to me, and they're doing the very thing I'm preaching about. They give each other a high five. This guy's fully asleep. <laughs> they're evil, aren't they? Yes, they are. But so are the people who bought them the drugs. <laughs> Where's the exit, Pastor? Oh, there you go. <laughs> Let's look at this. This is a religious snapshot from 2018 with Generation Z. 13% of them say that they're atheists. The millennials, 7%. Gen X, 6%. The boomers, 5%. And, but if you notice, the reason you might not think those numbers are pretty high, but when you, when you double from one generation to the next, you're in trouble. Because what's it going to be with Gen Alpha when the Gen Z start having children? And this is what I feel, where I feel to take this at this moment. We have mixed the culture in the church. And by way of illustration, in the Mexican culture, they have Catholicism primarily. And they have mixed death culture with it. So it's not uncommon to go to a Catholic church and see the death culture mixed in. And what we have done uh, in celebration of that, or what they have done, they have made cute little Disney movies to glamorize something that is very demonic. Do you see that? I took these pictures in the adult clothing section, not the children's. The average age of a video gamer in the United States is 35 to 44. And if I were to ask, usually, typically, most young adult groups in any church, if I were to ask them their favorite storyline of Star Wars, DC, or Marvel, they would get the dopamine hit, and they would go on and on and on. The moment I start talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, flatline. Oh, it's not funny. This breaks my heart because it breaks God's. And this is, this, is, this is what they're bonded to. This is what their affections are. And where does that happen? From a screen. And we see this everywhere we go. I want to play just a little short video clip for you about the danger, for example, of Star Wars. Have a look. try to awaken a certain kind of spirituality in young people. Uh, more a belief in God than a belief in any particular uh, you know, religious system. I mean, the, the, the real question is to ask the question. Jesus wants full access to us, and he wants us to have no other gods. Not Buddhism and Taoism. Our force doesn't come from that. Our force comes from the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit of God through the power of Jesus Christ. And him alone. 
nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus said to him, I am the way, not a way, but the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me. And to numb an entire generation and see their allegiance and their affections and their emotions, where they burn, is for the culture. Whole children's church based around superheroes. You seen all that? Now, do you understand why I'm not, I know they think you're just old-fashioned. No, I really believe that Buddhism and Taoism is off the table for us. And Jesus is the only one allowed in. That, that's where I'm coming from, strictly. And I want to make sure they're very clear about that through their whole life. And when I mention Jesus, I would love to hear spontaneous praise break out instead of I mention Fortnite and dopamine rushes into the room. It's a false anointing. You hear my burden, brothers and sisters. I'm mad at no one. I just This is what God has put on my call to do is to see these things turned around. But I can't do it. We collectively repent and then God honors our repentance with times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. So it says in the scriptures for us, come out from them and be separate. We're not supposed to be like everybody, but the question always is, well, we can't go back to the dark ages. Whatever happened to the spirit that says, no matter what I have to do, I'm going to follow Jesus. See the difference? Instead of trying to figure out how far can you go with the world, figure out how far you can go with Jesus. It's endless. And then trust him to take care of us if we do the right thing. There have been times that I have had to do the right thing and pay a price for it. There are times I have done the wrong thing, unfortunately, and paid a much higher price. And I don't always have the answers. I just need to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, yes. And not just be a good song that I dance to, but I mean have it in my heart. Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no, no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be what? Separated or holy is what it means. Because without that holiness, we will not see God. So I want to spend my few remaining moments with you giving you the symptoms of digital addiction and how do we undo it? How do we cope with technology? Because we do have to have it. We do. Where is the line? Well, this comes from the new book. If you are addicted, first of all, you are not qualified to diagnose, to self-diagnose your own addiction. Must be a counselor here. Seriously, or a doctor. Because everybody's addicted is blind to their own addiction. You need someone else that you're close to to ask that hard question and then not get angry when they answer. But if you're addicted, you have to detox first. And so here's what it looks like. It takes four to six weeks in the best case scenario. Gamers sometimes have to go through this process numerous times depending on how many years they've been gaming. Pornography addicts, it can take up to eight months. And during that four to six weeks, there can be no screens at all, including television. Do you remember when I was here last time I showed you inside those detox centers in South Korea? This is where it comes from. 
it's cold turkey. They seize all the drugs at the door, meaning the phones, the video games, because you cannot get over the drug addiction and continue to use the drug. You have to get rid of the drug. And then you come back to technology using neuroscience's definition of limit instead of the one that you've been using that's arbitrary. <laughs> so here's what it looks like. Um, when you apply that separation, the best thing that I can advise you on at this stage is that you detox first. You get all of that stuff. That it's called a dopamine detox. And by the way, it's a little bit of a misnomer to think that you're going to detox completely from dopamine. Uh, what it really actually means is that you're going to restore the proper amount of dopamine because you're not actually getting rid of all of it because you need dopamine. But you get the point, right? Deep dopamine detox. In other words, the part that's too much, that's what you're going to get rid of. And it's going to leave you with the proper amount of dopamine so that you can function in peace. And I can honestly tell you, I'm going to go into you how I keep my schedule. And it's not a perfect thing, nor may it fully apply to you, but I believe the principles will. And the, the focus down the track after I release the next book about detox, I will ask people in the book, I'm asking them, here's how I manage my schedule with all of my technology, running an international ministry but your unique business situation is different than mine. And while these principles will apply to you, would you please write to me, and, and after you've tried different things, please send to me what worked so that I can publish that and send it out to other people because I don't have all the answers for everyone's unique circumstance. Does that make sense to you? That's what research is all about. I really want to aggregate as much as I can and, and, and talk about people who work shift work and all that sort of stuff that comes into play and try to help people figure that out. But the principles that I'm about to share with you will definitely, definitely work. So the first thing that I will say to you is remove all technology from your bedroom, and this will, in one fell swoop, take you a long way toward health. Mind you, after you have detoxed, if that's in order. Because 80%, I estimate, of all this bad stuff that I've been talking to you about happens in the bedroom with the door shut with parents who believe their children are pretty good and not doing much. But they are. And so, as I mentioned to you before, because of a lack and a loss of creativity from children who have been raised on technology, a young adult came up to me, he was a school teacher, and he looked down at me, because I'm short, and he said to me, well, if I do that, remove technology from the bedroom, how am I going to wake up in the morning? And I looked up at this Nephilim, and I'm thinking... <laughs> Some of y'all have been in the Bible. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, good Lord, he's educating children. But with compassion as much as I can muster, I said, why don't you go to Walmart and buy an alarm clock? Oh. So because of him, I had to add that. And there's my alarm clock. Just to Can we teach you how to tie your shoe? Oh, it's Velcro. That made that easy. Okay. <laughs> I have to use technology to do my schoolwork. I have to know how to use technology in order to get a job. That's the pushback that I get. So, two more things. Basically, if I were to grab any phone or tablet, this is what I would find. But if I applied holiness to it, this is what would happen. The stuff on the left is what's causing the bad brain scans. The stuff on the right, no one's ever come to me and said, would you pray for me? I, 
I'm addicted to Word. <laughs> Can't stop typing. Help me. We get in, we get out. It's a good use of technology. You get the idea here. I'm not saying we throw everything away. And then the last thing I will say, how do I handle my own schedule? Well, I, it took me a while to get to this point. I, I, I went to Beth one time and I said to her, darling, I'm, our devotional life is not that great. I'm studying a lot for sermons, but that's not, that doesn't count toward my intimacy with God. What, what do you think we should do? She came back to me and she said, I, I think I know what we should do. And I said, what's that? She said, we should go to bed early. And I'm thinking, you know, 10, 10.30. And she goes, uh, no later than 8. And I thought, this cute little old woman has lost her mind. <laughs> but I've learned now that she's my helpmate, so I listened to her. And we adjusted our body clocks. So what we do, we go to bed. Some, when, I mean, obviously, when I'm out preaching, we adjust this because I'm not a legalist at all. But when we're under our own control... <laughs> We go to bed between 7.30 and 8, and we're up at 3. Come to the altar first. I will help you. <laughs> and the first thing I do after I go to the bathroom is go to the coffee pot. Because <laughs> I'm not that spiritual. But this is my repentance. I'm repenting in front of you. This is my end of the couch. Beth has her chair over there, and if you will notice, there are no screens, because at four o'clock in the afternoon, the phone is done, done, and it never has notifications on, ever. There's brain reasons for that. We watch a little television, we, we, we uh, set our DVR, we, we watch The Curse of Oak Island, and I'm ticked off, because for seven years, they have lured me it's like looking for Sasquatch. They never find the treasure. Anyway. But I watch it. I fall for it every week. But you get it. Content there is not bad, right? But, but we watch some television. But because we go to bed between 7, 30 and 8, it, obviously it's not a lot. And I sleep a full night. I'm on this couch at, very early in the morning. If you'll notice, there's a traditional dictionary there. There's two versions of the Bible. I, at this particular stage, I was reading a Charles Spurgeon book. That's a journal about, I would estimate now, 60% of the new book was all written by hand. Because when you write slowly on paper, your cognition goes through the roof. When you type, it goes through the floor. That's just science. There's my traditional highlighters. And then we get in the car and we pray. We take prayer drives. And I, I call it thug praying. I drive past people's houses and they go, get them, God. Fire. But we pull in the church parking lots. We have some great churches in our area. We pray over the pastors. And then in between, we're praying over our own marriage and health and finances because we have problems like everybody else. And we pray over our family. Then we hit the next person who has a need, and we pray over them. And getting in the car, there's no religious thing about that. It just, to be honest with you, helps you stay awake and focus on what you need to pray for because if I sit on that couch too long, I'm going to doze off. I was being honest. And then after that, we go to the gym. And after a long workout, uh, we go to breakfast. We have breakfast. And somewhere between 8.30 and 9, we start our work day and work all day with screens on. But then at 4, I'm done with the phone. So what do I do about messages? Approximately three times a day, I check the text messages. I check the email. And if you monotask, everybody say monotask, instead of jumping around all day long, 
If you sit down and do them all at one time, your productivity will increase by 40%, which means you're getting it done 40% faster. And the trick is, is not to fill stupid stuff into the time you saved. Put productive stuff in there. And there are some exceptions if there's a sickness in the family and things like that. If I'm traveling and somebody's got to pick me up at the airport, obviously I'm going to be on a little bit more trying to figure out how I'm going to get from point A to point B. But that's not the day in and day out. It's what I just told you. Does that help you at all? And so I reply to everyone, don't I, Pastor? And, and I'm there. And when I came here, I'm not being funny now, I came here fully slept in a state of peace because you are the most important thing to me this week. Because God is. So that is just in a nutshell how I handle the schedule, how I recommend. And again, there's a lot of work that needs to be done for unique individual circumstances. But maybe those principles, you can take those, modify to your circumstance. And if you'd be willing, if you solve some of these problems with your business, send me how you solved it and let me publish it to help others. Would that be good? All right, let's stand. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more teaching like this and other material, please visit our website at www.oceansunite.com.